Hey there, and welcome to episode number 185 of Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is September 1972. My name is Brian Stratton. I'm Jamie Wenger. And that's it. That's, that's all it. you get. <laughs> Just you. All you get this episode. <laughs> we got no guests. We got no Rob. Uh, you know, maybe if you had worked a little harder, that's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> if you, you know. people would return our phone calls <laughs> once in a while. Wow. This is a weird energy. We're starting yeah, off yeah, with right, a little hostile. This is what happens when Rob's not here. Apparently. It gets mean real fast. Yeah. Uh, well anyway, yeah, Rob, uh, he, he is still on uh, birthday vacation. Uh, he'll be back next week. Uh, he's going to have about 40 comics to catch up on. Um, oh, because and they are a lot. That's like, it's not just like 40 comics. They're like dense and big and yeah. long and Yeah. It's, it's not a show you can really take a break from. No, ever. yeah, that train keeps on keeps on moving. Yeah, it's like being the only person at a job who knows your job, <laughs> and no one can really cover for you when you're out. So right. it's like before you go on vacation, you have to like do a bunch of stuff, and then when you get back, everything's twice as bad for right. twice as long as you were on vacation. But you're like equally encouraged to take the vacation. Everyone's like, go, go, yeah, yeah. it'll be fun. Oh, no, have a great time. Yeah. You need some time off. Yeah. Go, go. None of us are going to worry. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Come out so, to the coast. We'll have some lifts. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is the first time uh, Jamie and I have recorded an episode without a guest. <gasps> is that true? I think it is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be a bad time to figure out that we don't have chemistry. <laughs> yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, place your bets, folks. Uh, I think I think we're going to be fine. All right. Um, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll muddle our way through. Either way, it's a historic. Historic and historic episode, <laughs> people say, for some reason. <clears throat> um, anyway, as we did uh, in our last episode with Katie Pride and Douglas Wolk, uh, we're going to be focusing on just a handful of stories this month. We're going to take a deep dive into those. Um, and all three of them are story arcs uh, that came to an end this month. So we have uh, Incredible Hulk number 157 and 158. Um, which are two issues written by three writers that managed to take a simple thing like a returning villain and <laughs> I would say complicate it to the point of absurdity. Yeah, that... yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, just layers upon layers of unnecessary plot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but then we also have Amazing Spider-Man 112 to 115. Uh, we talked a little bit about some of these early issues, um, but it, it's, it features a gang war between Dr. Octopus and Hammerhead. Uh, who makes his debut in this story. Um, and uh, then we have Captain America number 153 through 156, in which Cap, Falcon, and Sharon have to solve the mystery of a duplicate Captain America and Bucky, who are indistinguishable from the originals, uh, except for being extremely racist. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, and, and they're not sunburned, right? Right, yeah. yes. <laughs> not sunburned, <laughs> extremely racist. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so interesting to be doing it in the, that like this arc structure. Yeah, and like these were such clear arcs. Yes, with like a beginning, a middle, and end, and like you could put these in a in a floppy book, and mm -hmm. like it would make total sense. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like we're starting to see more of that from Marvel now that their distribution is getting a little more solidified. Mm. Um, there's not as much concern that their books aren't going to be you know on the racks uh, every single month. So. Um, you know, they're they're branching out and they're trying new things. And yeah, it's just it's interesting that they've been sitting on that line of like, well, this is a serialized soap opera that yeah. goes on forever. But every week we're going to do something independent of that. So yeah. like it, it, that's like a stressful formula for them. And I feel better oh, yeah. that they're like doing more long form stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
so yeah, uh, you're gonna you you will all get to hear about some of those in the free public version of this episode. Uh, if you like what you hear, head to patreon.com slash month to get access to our bonus feed. Uh, and then you'll get to listen to the extended version, uh, which is going to contain all three stories. Hmm. Uh, but before we dive into those, uh, let's go ahead and run through some headlines and comics news uh, for September of 1972. Jamie, why don't you start us out with some headlines? Right on. So September 1972 saw the debut of several future classic TV series, including the new Price is Right, later just The Price is Right, uh, which debuted on September 4th and would star Bob Barker as host until June 15th, 2007. Is there any greater job security than being the host of Price is Right? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, it's just like, you're going to do this. Yeah, until it, you it, die. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like being a Supreme Court justice <laughs> yeah. or a pope or right. something. And when you go, we're going to get somebody else and they might look just like you. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> no one gonna... will be able to tell. <laughs> uh, also, the long-running British sitcom, Are You Being Served?, aired its first episode on September 8th. That is a show which I have seen the like opening title screen mm-hmm. and nothing else. I have heard a bunch of jokes about Are You Being Served, but I've never seen a yeah. minute of it as far as I know. For some reason as a kid, it was like that was like lunge for the TV and shut it off time. Right. Like whatever whatever time slot that was. Because it's like uh, the Muppet Show's over now and yeah, you this need- is what's coming up next on PBS right. or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You need to go to bed or you're right. about to be in trouble or yeah, something like that. Uh, Maud, starring B. Arthur, premiered on CBS on September 12th. The Waltons began its 10-season run on CBS on September 14th. The Bob Newhart Show, starring Newhart as a Chicago psychologist, started the first of its seven seasons uh, on September 16th. And MASH, eh, which would run for 11 seasons, eight years longer than the Korean War that it was set during, aired its first episode on September 17th. Yeah. Dude. The MASH, I want to say movie. There was a MASH movie. Yeah, that's how it started. Yep. Is that the one with the chicken and the baby and I the bus? So. Yeah. I, like little baby Jamie, wandered into the room, you know, like maybe with a blanket, like a binky kind of situation and was like, oh, what's, that, what's Uncle Ron watching? And like, it was that scene. And I watched that scene and was traumatized. Yeah. So it all goes back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I still get scared of chickens and the Korean War. Yeah. Well, I've got four chickens in the backyard, but <laughs> yeah. there's uh, there's no Korean War, so, you know. <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now, yeah. So, uh, talking about uh, tragedies and wars and everything else, um, hey, here's some real-life uh, horror that was visited uh, upon the world uh, on September 5th, 1972. This is uh, basically the beginning of what would be called the Munich Massacre, um, which took place as the 1972 uh, Summer Olympics were in progress. <laughs> Eight members of the Palestinian terrorist group Black September broke into the Olympic Village in Munich. They killed two members of Israel's Olympic team and took nine others hostage. What? Uh, The next day, West German police bungled a rescue attempt at Furstenfeldbruck Airport. Palestinian gunmen murdered all nine of their hostages. Five of the terrorists and one policeman died. Uh, And then on September 8th, Israel's Air Force bombed Palestinian strongholds in Syria and Lebanon in retribution. What? Yeah. I've never heard of any of that. Wow, really? Yeah. 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 No, that's, I mean, this is, not that things were great before that. I mean, we had, you know, like there had been, you know, the Seven Days War and things like that. But um, this is where things, I mean, it it started being, this isn't just like a border dispute anymore. This Uh. is like you know, uh, a, a war of annihilation. Kind Damn. Of. Yeah. Uh, not, not to sound like a 
dumb person, but was there a movie or TV show about this? Like, it seems like uh, I, there must have been. There must have been, right? Yeah. Not to sound like a dumb person, but I don't watch a lot of movies. So, like, All right. I don't pair. know. But yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it was certainly a, a famous event. Like, yeah, that know. seems like like uh, primed for dramatization. Yeah, I would say. Uh, on the seventh, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi gave scientists at the Baba Atomic Research Center the go-ahead to manufacture India's first nuclear bomb. India became the world's fifth nuclear power with the successful explosion of the bomb on May eighteenth, nineteen seventy-four. Yay. Whoa. Good for them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, number five. Uh, on the 11th of September, 1972, at the request of White House aide John Ehrlichman, John Dean met with IRS Commissioner Johnny Walters and gave him a list of 490 individuals to investigate. <laughs> Yikes. Walters consulted with Treasury, Treasury Secretary Schultz the next day, who directed him to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Oh, that's great. That is awesome. That's like bureaucracy at its best. Yeah. Uh, on the 12th, the attack on two British fishing trawlers by Icelandic gunboat. Boop. Uh, Ickv. ICGV. I don't know why. It's like USS. <laughs> oh, okay. ICGV. Eager? Uh, sure. Eager? A-E-G-I-R. Um, triggered the second cod war between the UK and Iceland. Yeah. I'm sorry. To, sorry to laugh. I'm, I'm like, I read that in real time. And cod war seems like a typo. I, it is not a type. It's, it's not, not a cold war. It nope. is cod war. It's a cod it's, war. Apparently, they had a first one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this is the second. Yeah. Oh man, wait till Christopher Nolan hears about this. For oh, awesome cod movie. war. Um, I, I'm sure someone suffered during the cod war. Yes. But yeah. Not at to the make same light, time, but I'm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fishy. This. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't. I tried to stop. I couldn't do it. <clears throat> I just. I I feel like. Um, this was like looked at as a potential Aquaman three yes, plot, right. and then they were like, mm, <laughs> "I don't know, no, <laughs> not yeah." It doesn't have that Aquaman zing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the fifteenth of November, a federal grand jury indicted the five Watergate burglars, along with E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy. Yeah, there we go. On the same day, White House staff attorney John Dean met with President Nixon for the first time concerning the scandal. In the meeting, which lasted from 527 to 617, they discussed the covering up of the White House role in the Watergate break-in. Uh, and why do we know the precise times? Well, <laughs> Dean would testify about his memory of the discussion at the Watergate hearings on June 25th, 1973, unaware that Oval Office conversations are all recorded at Richard Nixon's request. Oh my gosh. Nixon, Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman, and Dean discussed plans to take revenge on the president's enemies. They're asking for it, and they're going to get it, commented Nixon, adding, We haven't used the Bureau, we haven't used the Justice Department, but things are going to change now. They're going to get it right. <laughs> oh, man. I really, we really need to start a Nixon podcast of some kind. Uh, just the fact that, like, almost this exact same thing was said 50 years later, you know? And yeah. Once again, just like a few dedicated civil servants, mm -hmm. it's like, ah, oh, I don't like knowing that we routinely come that close to the line. Yeah, that like that line about, oh, you have to learn your history because history repeats itself. It's like the dopiest reason to tell children to learn history. Yeah. But like it happened. Yeah. Like it literally happened. Yeah. It's like, why should I learn it? Why don't I just wait till it comes <laughs> back around? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Also, I hate to say that, but learning our history has never prevented it from recurring apparently no so. yeah yeah you would think that would work but yeah it really does not yep 
on the 27th, actress Gwyneth Paltrow, best known for playing the role of Pepper Potts in Mar- the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was born in Los Angeles. Yeah. She's so good in that role. She's great. She's great in everything. Yeah. Uh, except multi-level marketing. Yeah. Like in real life, maybe less great. Yeah. But in yeah. fiction, always awesome. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and then uh, finally, on the uh, 30th of September, Pittsburgh Pirates legend Roberto Clemente got his 3,000th career hit which had sadly also proved to be his very last. Uh, Clemente would be killed in a plane crash at the <gasps> end of the year. Oh, my God. Yep. That's tragic. It is. It was very tragic. He was amazing ball player. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm feeling bad about making fun of Gwyneth Paltrow. I kind of like, <laughs> she's probably like a very sweet person in real life. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. I, the eggs and the candles and whatever. Like, yeah. You know, if I was that famous. I feel like, oh, boy. And and, and I if, if I'm getting this wrong, I'm going to just say... <laughs> I may very possibly be getting this wrong, so don't take my word for it. But I feel like there might have been some vaccine skepticism Ooh. in there, and that's uncomfortable. That is uncomfortable. Yeah, All right. that was uncomfortable as a jade egg, presumably. But you know. <laughs> oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm a crazy weirdo now, and I have basically no money oh yeah yeah if you gave me all the money i would be so weird oh yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah it's be like john hodgman's deranged millionaire character yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. exactly all right hey what was going on in the comics industry this month sure uh september 1972 was the month that stanley was form- former formerly named publisher of marvel comics with roy thomas already in the fr- former role as editor-in-chief yeah wow and the People's Comics, uh, which is an indie comic, mm. uh, Robert Crumb drew the story Fritz the Cat Superstar, in which his most famous character, Fritz the Cat, is murdered, thus terminating the comic strip. Oh. Uh, Crumb drew the story in reaction to Ralph Bakshi's animated Fritz the Cat feature film adaptation, which had premiered <laughs> a few months earlier. Man. The history of people hating movies of the stuff that yep. they make is long standing. Yeah. You thought Alan Moore invented that? No. Nope. Yeah. Get in line. DC Comics launched a new Supergirl title that would last only 10 issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, why? Just no one was buying it? Yeah. I mean, it's hmm. the, you know, they floated something on the newsstand and it didn't take off. Huh. Um, but uh, I feel like Tom King's Supergirl definitely went more than... Wasn't that like a... Was that a 10-issue or 12-issue series? Uh, from the amount everyone talks about it, I feel like it was like a five-year run or oh, something like that. Yeah, it's so good. It may only be that. eight, but uh, yeah, it seriously might be... My favorite thing that came out last year. Our friends at the Comics Canon did a whole episode on it. Um, oh, really? And it's a great episode. I mean, almost all their episodes are great. Um, but this one uh, especially. Uh, and, and when they announced that they were doing it, I did let them know that, you know, either Supergirl is canon worthy or we're going to riot. Um, <laughs> oh, whoa. So <laughs> the gala was thrown. Yeah. Uh, but I did not, you know, I, I didn't bias the jury that it was already released by the time I threatened them. So <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, uh, Gold Key Comics uh, would publish the first issue of Wacky Adventures of Cracky, <laughs> yes. featuring everyone's favorite. I think he's a parrot. I don't know. <laughs> what? Uh, it's Cracky. I mean, I assume he has a theme song. Sure, probably. Finally, NewCon 72, a.k.a. the New England Comic Art Convention, took place in Boston, Massachusetts. It was organized by Martin Graham, and the guest of honor was Roy Thomas. Hey, hey. there you go. Um, finally, uh, we'll just do uh, a quick wrap up of what Marvel had going on this month. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, three story arcs came to a close. 
uh, in Amazing Spider-Man number 115, Captain America number 156, and Incredible Hulk number 158. We're going to be going deep on those in just a few minutes. In Astonishing Tales 15, Kazar became an urban vigilante for some reason. That was a weird decision. Yeah, it was a weird decision. It's like all of a sudden, like it's Luke Cage. Well, and it was also like the the concept of like, oh, the city streets are just an urban jungle, like taken to the most ridiculous degree possible yeah. again and again and again. Also, very weird to have a blonde haired white character <laughs> who's exclusively beating up black people. Yeah. Yeah. It's uncomfortable from like page two yeah. on. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm sure it was fine at the time. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Uh, The Avengers had to confront a traitor in the ranks in the uh, in Avengers 106, uh, which is uh, Engelhart, right? Yep. Yeah. It was it was an odd issue, but the characterization was like turned up to 11. Yes. Uh, Daredevil 94 finally brings the Project 4 storyline to an end. Holy smokes. Along with the lives of Damon Drawn and Danny French, or so it seems, one of whom will get better. Yeah. Um, in Fantastic Four number 129, the Frightful Four gain a new member and the Fantastic Four lose one. I really liked I really liked that issue. I did too. Um, Iron Man fights someone called the Black Llama in Iron Man 53. Presumably he wins. I don't really remember. I really did not like that issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Luke Cage does some ghost busting in the movie theater he calls yeah. home in Luke Cage Hero for Hire number four. That was a lot of fun. It was. Mike Friedrich and Dan Atkins put together a heartbreaker of a fill-in issue for Bill Everett in Submariner 56. The end of that issue is just so sad. Yeah, I did not see that coming. Yeah. It just, and it it almost felt like if it had been a book, it would have been the epilogue. Yeah. So you're like, oh, it's a happy ending. And then the epilogue punches you in the gut. Yep. Um, yeah. Really interesting, like, structure for that. Uh, a pair of Thor's greatest, greatest foes make their return in Thor 206. Uh, and Warlock keeps on doing his golden space Jesus thing in Warlock number three. Yep. I So I'm rooting for that book. Uh, but the, the twist... Uh, not to give it away, but like, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's what our show is, exactly right? Exactly. Okay. 100% what we do. <laughs> yeah. So the, the bad guy, which was like a new bad guy, turned out to be the old bad guy, the, the man beast. Something and, like that. And I was like, issue three, you're hitting the same note again. Like, yeah. that's too early. I really want issue four to be, we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, none, none of this trajectory is like the right yeah. thing. Uh, well, take heart. Jim Starlin is already starting to be yeah, his, a presence in books. He's like uh like the the blossoms in spring. Like yeah. you just see like his name pops up over here and he pops up over there, yep. little little Jim Starlin buds. Yep. Um and he's yeah, he's gonna be taking over Captain Marvel in the not too distant future, and then he winds up going on to Warlock, and then we're off to the races. Interesting so. that Captain Marvel is his start. Yep. Huh. Cosmic. Yep. Cool. Exactly. Right on. I'm excited to to watch that trajectory. Yeah, it's great. Uh, So that is some of what was happening in uh, September of 1972. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll dive into some of the Marvel comics of September 1972 right here on Marvel by the Month. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marvel by the Month. Even though only two thirds of the hosts are here today, it is our goal to bring you 100 percent of whatever it is you expect from this show. And if 100 percent isn't enough for you, get 130 percent, 150 percent or even 
200% by supporting us at patreon.com slash marvel by the month. Subscribers at the $4 a month level get access to our bonus feed of more than 70 extended and exclusive episodes. Yeah, every episode now from our 6th, 7th, and now 8th season has an extended version that's only available to listeners who support us at patreon.com slash marvel by the month. If you're not a Patreon supporter, that means that there is content out there from Brian Michael Bendis, Steve Englehart, Chelsea Kane, Clint McElroy, Elliot Kalin, Douglas Wolk, Tom Brevoort, Mark Evanier, and Sean Baby that you have never heard. And I don't know if I could ever sleep again if someone may be aware of that information. <laughs> not to mention the fact that sometimes our Patreon supporters get episodes weeks or even months before they hit the public feed. And there are some bonus episodes that never make it to the public feed, like the time Miles Stokes from Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men joined the show to talk about X-Men 2, X-Men United. Yeah. That was, was before f- I came on board. Ah, uh, such a fun episode. Like, you should have been there. I should have been there. Well, you'll get there for X-Men 3. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. That was mean. That was a mean <laughs> thing to say. Uh, whether or not you are interested, though, uh, in the extended or exclusive episodes, uh, just know that everyone who supports us on Patreon makes it that much more likely that we will continue to be able to do the show um so if you like marvel by the month hey please support marvel by the month at patreon.com slash marvel by the month i'm sorry x-men three <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. I will be taking us through Amazing Spider-Man 112 to 115. Uh, In 112, we've got Spidey Cops Out by John Romita and Jerry Conway. Uh, Then they call the doctor, dot, 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 octopus. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Uh, That's Amazing Spider-Man 113, art by John Romita, written by Jerry Conway. Then Hammerhead, Amazing Spider-Man 114, art by John Romita, Tony... Mortellaro and Jim Starlin, written by Jerry Conway. And then The Last Battle, Amazing Spider-Man 115, art by John Romita and Tony Montalaro, written by Jerry Conway. So this arc picks up right after some key events that set sort of the emotional tone for what's to come. So we've seen Spider-Man's run-in with the Gibbon, mm-hmm. um, who Spider-Man like kind of cruelly spurned, yeah. which resulted in the Gibbon going full villain and ending up being hospitalized. Um, and then also on the like Peter Parker side of things, indirectly due to Peter's actions, Gwen confronts Aunt May about being overbearing towards Peter, which causes Aunt May to run away from home. <laughs> um, you know, like old people do. They yeah. run away from home. Uh, <laughs> Very she, dramatic family. Yeah, seriously. And it's like her home, which makes it. <laughs> uh, she does leave a note, which should be helpful, but actually only serves to drive Peter basically more insane. Yeah. So at the start of 12, uh, Spider-Man is on a mission to find Aunt May. Uh, He is literally running away from helping people in order to do it. Yeah. And like this is sort of the microcosm of what Spider-Man's all about. It's like how to reconcile, uh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. uh, The Uncle Ben stuff on the Spider-Man side. But like with the personal responsibilities and stress of Peter's life. Yeah. And also worth noting that it seems like um, the things that he's ignoring uh, are all symptoms of this like escalating gang war right like um we don't really know the details of it yet um all we know is that you know there's a lot of uh, rival gang activity on the street yeah um and it's really uh, like for everything from like traffic accidents to you know muggings uh it's it's having an impact on 
everyday New Yorkers, which normally would be Spidey's beat. Right. But but he, because he, he's in the state, he's ignoring it. And, yes. And like whenever he overcorrects on one side of his personality, bad things tend to happen. Yes. Uh, on top of this, the Daily Bugle has put him on salary uh, with the expectation that he'll like, you know, do work for them. Right. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> and like not to be on Team Jonah, but he's like actually kind of rightfully angry that Peter's been dropping the ball lately. Yes. And he puts him on notice. So just like just like tightening the the pain stress scale yeah. that, that he's and it's under. all interrelated right because like because he's not spider-manning uh-huh he's not getting photos of things so he's not doing his job right which is putting him in trouble like at risk of not being able to maintain his personal life but his personal life is a mess because right. aunt may's missing and but like really it, it, it does kind of show like the, the maslow's hierarchy of peter parker <laughs> needs you know it's like yeah. aunt may apparently is at the top of this pyramid sure. you know uh-huh. and then Spider Manning and then uh, economics, economics <laughs> and then friendships and then at the very bottom, whoever he's dating at the time. Right, right. right. Yeah. Poor, poor Gwen. Yep. Um, uh, so like eventually Spider-Man gets kind of dragged kicking and screaming back into the middle of this gang war against some pretty like Dick Tracy looking gang members, <laughs> which like is actually pretty relevant considering who's about to be introduced in yep. the next issue. Yep. Um. But first, uh, Spider-Man crosses paths with Doc Ock, who is, seems to be orchestrating about one half of the gang stuff. Yes. And, and there's a, a brilliant, like, full panel reveal uh, on the last page of uh, 112 um, where, you know, he uh, Spidey decides he is going to do something about this gang war. Uh-huh. He can't not intervene. Um, so he's he's taken this, like... Uh, harness off of one of the thugs. It was like a strength amplification harness. Does he know that yet? I don't. I don't know. I if think he that he does. Yes. At this point. Yeah. He says it, uh, it's some sort of harness, complete with an amplifying power pack. Um, so he's, you know, then he's like kind of looking around for more trouble, uh, and the Spidey sense is getting louder and louder and louder. And then we get on the the last page. I don't know if we have a lot of last page splash. No, pages. it's pretty rare. Yeah, um, but it's like. Doc Ock coming right at him between two buildings. Um, and it's a, it's a brilliant, like just view of the city. Yeah. I can't tell if there's something abnormal going on with the perspective. Like, could you take a photo of that and it would look like that? I don't think so. I don't think it's like warped a little bit. It does feel. Yeah. I mean, it feels like, like, um, Rob would know. He would say like one of those words he's always saying exactly. that I always pretend to know what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. Curascura. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not that, that, that thing. One, it's probably. not that one. Yeah. That's... But but it is. It does have this sort of like. Um, oh, what is it like when your emotional state impacts like how you're viewing the world? Yeah. You know? like, right. Right. It, it, it's it's a very. It's not. It's the opposite of hyper real. It's it's. Um, stylized it's, it's, it's highly stylized or highly subjective like but it really just does feel like this like literally the walls are closing in on right him. right right and yeah. there's so much city and it's like yeah anyway it's a very cool splash page yes okay so so that's the end doc of- ock revealed at the end of 112 what do we got in 113 uh so spider-man and doc ock duke it out for a bit it's a nice looking fight scene we don't have mm-hmm. to go into it yeah um peter afterwards goes home and collapses and has a nightmare like another sort of Peter Parker esque, uh, well, not esque, it's him. Um, <laughs> he has a, uh, like one of his stress nightmares. Yeah. But it includes Aunt May being surrounded by Doc Ock tentacles. Yes. Put a little bookmark on that. 
Yep. Also, which was uh, he he kind of remembered in a flashback at the beginning of the last issue about the time that like Aunt May took Doc Ock in as a boarder uh, in her house, right? And, and didn't know that. Oh, mm. Aunt May. We should we should also mention like uh, for those who haven't been reading every single issue. Oh yeah, of these yeah. Things, good like, call. Uh, Doc Ock and Aunt May have this really funny relationship through Spider-Man history. Like I think it's in the first Spider-Man annual. Uh, the the Sinister Six one, um, Doc Ock kidnaps Betty Brant and uh, Aunt May, and Betty Brant realizes they're in trouble mm. right away, and that he's a bad man. But like Aunt May is utterly charmed by him. Yeah, and it's like he's serving her tea and like acting like a gentleman, <laughs> and she's like, oh. Um, the weird that or uh, it's not weird. It's impressive in that it actually like from her perspective does make a bit of sense. Sure, you know, like she's like. A Fox News watcher, like yep. she reads the bugle, so Spider Man is a menace, right? Yeah. So from the jump, like Doc Ock may not be such a bad guy if Spider Man, the bad he's guy, is a doctor. He's a doctor. It's in his name. Yeah, yeah. My nephew Peter is is interested in science. It's like maybe he could be a role model to. He's, right. He's really needed a role model since Ben died. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. It totally it does track in story. Yes. From her, you know, from her point of view. Yeah. Now, what Jerry Conway winds up doing with this, not it just through this story but like beyond it i am so excited for this run of comics my it, dad had those i read them when i was very so young over the top I yeah love it. yeah um yeah so he has this uh stress dream she's surrounded by tentacles um uh he's as he's sleeping and uh i think uh ned ned no roommate uh Osborne, harry harry mm-hmm. uh harry calls gwen uh gwen shows up with a doctor who diagnoses peter with a both nervous exhaustion and a duodenal ulcer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, there's a fam- there's a Family Guy joke <laughs> where uh, Stewie is in like a spaceship inside Peter, and he like he's looking for something to blast, and like the computer, which has the voice of uh, Majel Barrett from Star Trek, uh-huh. is like, "Oh, you're near the duodenum," so he blasts Peter's duodenum. <laughs> And Peter is lying in bed and he jumps up and says, oh, my duodenum. (laughs) (laughs) I will never see that word without thinking of that scene. Uh, Yeah. And and like, so both of the things that Peter is suffering from are just, you know, caused by acute anxiety, anxiety and stress. Yeah. This is the fate of all ex prodigies. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like a 45 year old guy problem or person problem, not gendered. Yeah. Um, so uh, in addition to all this craziness, Peter ha- lost his mask at some point. Because Doc Ock pulled it off of him in the fight. Like, yeah. Like Spidey webbed up Doc's glasses. Which usually works. Which usually works, except he put a polymer on them. Clever. So he was able to clean them off really quickly. But it turns out like all Doc was able to do is like yank the mask off and Spidey was able to get away. Right. Before he saw him. Yeah. And the reason that Spider-Man had to leave is because he was feeling the effects of the ulcer. Right. Before the end of the fight. So, Yeah. Um, you would think that him losing the mask would make his spider manning like face more expressive. Um, and I thought maybe they were like testing that out a little bit. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. I, for the most part, it really doesn't do that except in like one or two moments. Yeah. Uh, it ties into a fight scene later. But like, I don't imagine that they were thinking it out that far that specifically. Yeah, I think it was mostly just meant to show that stress and off balance. And, yeah. And, and that that Peter is really on the ropes like, you know, he's. He's lost his aunt. He's got these health problems. Um, he doesn't even have his mask. You know, costume, he's about to lose yeah, his job. Right, you know, right. It's like one more thing to worry about. Right. Uh, so by the end of 113, we meet the <clears throat> head of the other gang. Yay! <laughs> and it's Hammerhead. Yep. 
Why is he called that? Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, for now, just know that his head is flat like the face of a hammer. Yeah. Uh, and equally as hard. Yep. Um, this is like right out of Dick Tracy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's probably a Dick Tracy villain uh, who is like this. I'll just real quick. I'm just I'm doing other stuff just real fast. I'm going to go to the Dick Tracy Wikipedia page. I'll look at the list of villains and we'll move on with my uh, my life. Uh, hundreds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like maybe near a thousand like yeah. Dick Tracy villains. Yep. With the most preposterous names. Yes. My friend and I were texting for like a good hour about it. They are amazing, <laughs> including one called Public Domain. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you knew that? Yes. Oh, I I mean, I read a ton of Dick Tracy. I don't have any Dick Tracy comics anymore, but uh, at the time is I want to say like Gemstone or someone was reprinting and they were cheap. And I just read a ton of Dick Tracy. Really? Yeah. Like Mrs. Pruneface. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Pruneface and Mrs. Pruneface. <laughs> two different villains. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, then they were, they've been like 2020. There was like a, a Dick Tracy series. I went to, uh, the midnight premiere of the Dick Tracy movie with the t-shirt. Yes, I did too. Yeah. I lost a tooth at that movie. Uh-huh. Wow. My childhood, like teeth fell out. Damn. I was wearing my Dick Tracy. The shirt was your ticket to yes. admission yeah. to the movie. I want my dad. I, I Thanks, went, yay. <laughs> I, I went with my friend, uh, Mark Patterson, who was the guy who owned the comic store uh, in my hometown and. Uh, so like after the store closed, uh, we wound up doing like, it was like the literally twice annual clean of the store. <laughs> uh, we did that for like three hours and then he was like, okay, let's go to Dick Tracy. And that was my payment. So, Whoa, cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that movie blew me away as a, as a child. It was so much fun. It was so colorful too. I haven't seen it again recently. Maybe we should watch it. That'd again. be fun. Yeah. I bet it holds up on certain levels and not on other levels. Yeah, I, I think aesthetically it's probably great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who directed it. I don't. Just the sort of thing I normally it had don't a know. Tremendous cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Madonna had that single. I had a yeah, cassette. That's right. Anyway, so yeah, uh, we were meeting Hammerhead as, yeah. as a after yeah. So after Spidey beats up Doc Ock for him, uh-huh. it's like Hammerhead shows up, like, hey, I'm Hammerhead. <laughs> <laughs> Hammerhead, see. <laughs> Um, yeah, and they, you've done a real good job getting rid of my worst competition without Doc Ock. This city is wide open, just itching for somebody to come along and take what he can. And in case you hadn't guessed it yet, little man, that somebody is Hammerhead. Yeah. Um, I get the impression they wanted this to be a splash page, but it didn't work out. Oh, uh, yeah, I could see that. Um, which like would pacing mean, wise. Yeah, yeah. Which would mean that you would have ended the last issue with that Doc Ock splash page and this one with a hammerhead one right yeah but it just like there's one panel up above yeah i think they just uh ran out of room yep i think you're you might be right there uh so at the beginning of 114 doc ock has been knocked out uh and spider-man is wearing this strength augmenting harness mm-hmm. while getting attacked by by hammer and the gang so then doc ock wakes up causes some havoc uh then he pieces out as spider-man gets knocked out and has another sort of stress flashback dream yes um hammerhead he he doesn't just get knocked out he gets shot in the head yeah which is because uh that happens also a bit later sort of yes um yeah that and the art this is one of those things where the art and the dialogue tell like a slightly different story Mm -hmm. it really looks like he gets shot in the skull yes yep um, but the dialogue is like, oh, he didn't quite get shot in the skull. Octopus, you fool. You spoiled my aim. So I just grazed him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of those skull grazes. Yeah. That's, you know, 90% of gunshots in the Marvel Universe just wind <laughs> just up. Just grazing. Know, yeah. Like, grazing. Oh, I got a scratch on yeah. my arm. Or, yeah, and the remaining 10% just passed right through. Right. Right. Clean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then Hammerhead gives Spider-Man's uh, 
some um, backstory. Yes. Uh, which, like, long story short, uh, a crazy doctor gave him a hammer for a head. Like, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. It was like one of the one of the most straightforward. He's like, well, I have a hammer for a head. And what happened was I got a hammer for a head yeah, from like, a guy. This doctor found him like passed out in the street <laughs> next to a movie theater with like traumatic head injury. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'll just uh, I'll firm up the skull. <laughs> yep. flat, shave it out. Flat, <laughs> make make sure it's like, extremely flat. It's uh, real weird. I mean, yeah. And then he, he doesn't remember anything about who he used to be. He takes his entire new personality based on a movie poster that he is the last thing he oh, remembered it, seeing. And like it was a Cagney like a, thing? Like a Capone. Oh, Capone. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah so he's like a, he's like a mobster with a like, capital M. Yeah. Uh, he's also trying. He even drives around in like his car. I, yeah. I know that like later. It's yeah. They're like Bentleys or something like yeah. that. Like it really is like 1930s mobster stuff. Tommy guns. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, I mean, he's kind of trying to, rec- well, not kind of, he's trying to recruit Spider-Man to their team. Yeah. Which is sort of odd if you know anything about Spider-Man, but yep. hey, why not? But if all you know about Spider-Man is what you read in the Bugle, seems oh, plausible. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yep. He yeah. hates Dr. Octopus. He's a criminal. We should be in We should be natural allies. Yep. Um, so uh, his goons have tracked Doc Ock to a mansion in Westchester. But not that mansion in Westchester, <laughs> uh, where he's reportedly with some old broad. Uh, Spider Man like immediately assumes that it's Aunt May because uh, he, her and Doc Ock met like seventy issues ago. Yep, <laughs> which is a ridiculous assumption, but it's also right. Yep. Uh, so he plans- also she's the only other old broad oh, in the story, <laughs> or in any Marvel comic. We have one old lady, and and that's it. Yep. Uh, so he uh, sneakily plants a little spider tracker on Hammerhead. Uh, Hammerhead then leaves Spider-Man with some goons as his ace in the hole uh, in an oddly complicated rotating room. Yeah. So (laughs) I was trying to like, obviously a ton of thought went into this. Like, yeah. But why? Why? Exactly. So to describe it, it is it is a circular office that he's in. It has one window that depending on where it's rotated, uh, it looks out over a different area. Right. Like there's like a parking lot. There's, you know, there's so some of it's interior, some of it's exterior. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. It is. I mean, talk about over engineering, like, like, and it's only for what, like two panels or three panels. Like never pays off. No. Yeah. And it is such an intricate thing. I I mean, someone must've eaten dinner at like the round room restaurant or rotating restaurant <laughs> from Springfield. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very very odd. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So anyway. Uh. Yeah. They're leaving Spider Man with the goons. Uh. And they're heading off to Doc Ock. They take off in their in their their Bentleys. Yep. Um. This coming up is an important canon moment. Mm-hmm. Um. We take a breather as a concerned professor talks to Gwen about Peter. Yeah. Gwen then internalizes some guilt about May and yells at Flash Thompson for being a jerk. But the important thing about this is that the professor is one Professor Warren. Yes. So he will later be retconned into being in love with Gwen Mm -hmm. and then turning into a bad guy and then much later doing some cloning. But like a lot of cloning. All the cloning. Yep. Like the amount of cloning you're thinking, double that. Yeah. You're still not quite at all the cloning. Yeah. I mean, hopefully this show will be over before we have to get into all of it. (laughs) Oh, no. No way. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, so we've seen him. He's he's had like these little tiny he's like been in the background background or character appearances, but this is like Jerry starting to bring him forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he's got. I a mean, plan. I don't think at this point he's got the plan for who or what this person is going to wind up. Being. I mean, you couldn't possibly. Yeah, but I mean, I guess he figured it's like you know what Spider Man's needs is more of a supporting cast um, <laughs> and so i'm going to introduce uh, professor warren to this equation so yeah and find like another professor with like a green problem yeah uh and then uh you know speaking of supporting cast uh flash thompson shows up and uh he like kind of like half kidding talks some smack about peter and mm-hmm. gwen's like that's it i'm done with you yeah which has been kind of like simmering for a while. Like yes. she really tried to be his friend and he's either he's either talking smack about their relationship yeah. or Peter or like kind of flirting with her excessively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's no MJ. She won't put up with that. Right, exactly. Um so then back at the Hammerhead Goon base, <laughs> the rotating room. <laughs> the rotating room. <laughs> uh Spider-Man tricks the guards. Uh this is where his <laughs> his lack of mask comes into play. Right. They like make a comment about his eyes and he's like, no, I have like a secondary mask under my eyes or something. So they come closer and then he just webs them. Yep. Um, so he escapes the rotating room, catches up with the Bentleys. Thank God that room rotates. Yeah. Right. I don't know how he could have possibly <laughs> right. done Otherwise it. it would have been impossible to escape. Yep. Um, so then he roof rides to Westchester where he then beats up those guys too. Um, and as he's sneaking into the docks mansion, he gets knocked out by by a vase or a vase, depending on where you're from. Um, and it turns out <laughs> depends that, on how much it was. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yep. If it's from Target, then it's a it's a vase. Um, it turns out the person who has smashed his head with this the vase is Aunt May. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love what she says, Doctor Octavius. Doctor Octavius, come quickly. I I think I just killed that awful monster Spider Man. <laughs> It's awesome. And she looks horrified. Yeah. Oh, and we should also, the reason that, that she's able to, to do that is because his spider sense doesn't go off because it doesn't recognize her as a threat. Right. That's very cool. That's Aunt a May nice is the detail. perfect assassin. She is. And, and she, so she looks horrified at having done this. She also looks horrifying. Yeah. Oh like yeah. She looks like, like Crypt Keeper old. Yep. Uh, All right, and then somehow, like the the next cover, the cover of our last issue, uh, one fifteen, doubles down on all this <laughs> and shows Aunt May uh, pulling a gun on Spider Man and saying, "Stay back, Spider Man! I warn you, if you take one more step towards that poor man, Doctor Octopus, lying on the ground, I'm going to fire." Which, like, obviously is like a ridiculous cover thing to sell comics. They wouldn't actually have that in the comic, or would they? Or would they? Uh, so then 115 kicks off with a big old fight between Hammerhead and, and the goons, uh, Doc Ock and his goons, and with Spidey and to some degree Aunt May kind of stuck in the middle. And then actually kind of literally because Spider-Man ends up between the walls, which I love, man. I love anytime someone gets between walls and fiction. Yep. So cool. Um, don't think too much about what Aunt May's doing there because it spoils the, the ending bit. Yes. So just ignore that for a bit. Uh, she's team Doc Ock through and through. And uh, he keeps downplaying the sounds of the fight to her. Like, like <laughs> there's, there's like a gang war happening in this house and a superhero. And, and he's like, oh, no, it's just don't don't even worry about that. Yep. He, yeah, totally. Uh, three's company. Um, so uh, we cut away to Gwen, who's worried now about both Peter and May. 
she gets some info from uh, crack reporter Ned Leeds at the Bugle. And so her and Robbie make their way to Westchester, where all this is going down. Yes. Uh, Spidey beats up the grunts, then takes on Hammerhead. Uh, Hammerhead, like, basically loses and then runs away while shouting how he's first class all the way. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed out loud. That's such a great thing to shout when you're running away. You're jumping out the window. (laughs) You're small potatoes, Spider-Man. After today, Hammerhead travels first class. First class all the way! <laughs> yeah, it's like the opposite tone of the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You know, yeah. when like, he runs away through the window? It's terrific. Uh, so meanwhile, Spider-Man's fighting through this ulcer attack that he's having, and he's facing off against Doc Ock. Only now May is there, too. Um, she pleads with Doc Ock not, not to resort to violence. Uh, he explains that he'll be as kind as a man in love, uh, Spidey's eyes are exposed and this maybe pays off him not having a mask because he looks crazy. Yeah. Um, he goes nuts and he beats the tar out of Doc Ock in a pretty crazy looking panel. Yes. It's one of those like uh, multiple actions in one frame. Yeah, yeah. And and even prior to that, like he's grabbing the tentacles and just like whipping into <laughs> the walls. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's brutal. I yeah. mean, it's like uncharacteristically brutal. Yep. Um. And then we get the scene from the cover. May, like, I couldn't believe they actually did it. I was shocked. Yep. May's threatening Spider-Man with a gun. And then she pulls the trigger. Yeah. She doesn't not pull the trigger like you would think would happen. She pulls the trigger. So as I read the issues that we're going to go deep on, I also take the screenshots for our social media. And so I took a screenshot of the those two panels of Aunt May pulling the gun on Spidey and then pulling the trigger. But it was just those panels, <laughs> and then I showed it to my wife, and I wouldn't tell her how it ended. <laughs> so, oh, that's cool. I assume she's just catching up on it now. So, hi, Sarah. <laughs> um, the only reason she misses is because that's the exact moment when the authorities start to arrive, as called by uh, Gwen and Robbie. Uh, also, the house might be on fire, I think. So, Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's like all, it's all multiple overlapping disasters. Yeah. Yeah. So the like a siren goes off or something and startles her. So she misses. Otherwise, I'm, I assume she's a crack shot. Right. Uh, Spidey kind of slinks away as the cops and firefighters show up um, as they're escorting May out of the building. She's feeling really shaky, but she gets a huge hug and a big heartfelt apology from Gwen. You know, a nice bit of catharsis. Like I assume Gwen now like doesn't have to carry this guilt that she's been carrying yeah that's spider-man's thing we don't need yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean she wouldn't have had to carry it that much longer (laughs) (laughs) ouch um so uh robbie he says may like don't worry your abductor soon will be safely behind bars you don't have to worry about this you don't have to worry about him ever again and then may's like expresses some confusion she doesn't like really understand I assumed she was like a little dizzy from the events. Mm-hmm. She asked if she can briefly chat with the handcuffed Doc Ock, who's been subdued. His arms aren't doing stuff. This is happening just as Peter arrives and Peter makes up an excuse while he's there late. Like, oh, sorry, I made a wrong turn at Poughkeepsie. <laughs> I know you all beat me here somehow, but yeah. Um, and then to Peter's shock, May reveals her declaration uh, of her intention to accept Doc's invitation to move in with him yep so she's gonna live with him in this mansion in westchester yep because he's a great guy yeah and he needs someone to look after him yeah and she and needs she, and, and she she needs someone to look after and peter doesn't need her anymore peter doesn't need her anymore 
So this is his fault. Yeah. So now he doesn't have to feel guilty about that other thing. He has to feel guilty about this thing. Yep. It's like, it's a tremendous example of like how to escalate a problem by solving a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like really artfully done. Yeah. Like you haven't really changed the emotional beats. Nope. But the circumstances have changed entirely. Yeah. It's very clever. And that's something I really love as we'll see throughout Conway's run on Spider-Man is everything gets heightened to a ludicrous degree. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, I'm so looking forward to, I'm, I'm so excited to be at the, at the beginning of this roller coaster. Um, cause his, his run is, I used to read reprints of his run and like Marvel tales and things like that when I was like early in my comic collecting. Oh, and, wow. Um, I am so nostalgic for this era of Spider-Man. Yeah. Despite the fact that I wasn't yet born, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that's us. <laughs> yep. That's us. Uh, cool. So, yeah. So that's our, that's our crazy Spider-Man run, man. I love this story. Yeah. And, and I think the other great thing is that Spider-Man from this point on tends to move in arcs. So I, I get the feeling mm. like every couple, three, four episodes, we're going to check back in on Spider-Man cool. and see how things have been going for him. I mean, presumably really well. Yeah. Not great. Not great. <laughs> Never great. Never great. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hey, let's take another break. Um, And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about more of these Marvel comics from September 1972. Um, Stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, We've got one last story arc to talk about, uh, and that's the one that runs through Captain America number 153 to 156. Um, So uh, the first of these four issues is Captain America, Hero or Hoax in 153, written by Steve Englehart with art by Sal Buscema and Jim Mooney. Um, The second is Captain America number 154, The Falcon Fights Alone, written Mm. by Steve Englehart. Art by Sal Buscema and John Verputin. Um, Captain America number 155, The Incredible Origin of the Other Captain America, <laughs> written by Engelhart uh, with Sal Buscema and Frank McLaughlin uh, doing the art. And finally, Captain America 156, Two into One Won't Go, uh, written by Steve Engelhart uh, uh, with art also by Sal Buscema and Frank McLaughlin. So... Um, we've talked about the first couple issues of the story in quick recaps on the extended versions of a couple of our previous episodes. Um, we'll just give you a quick rundown of the setup, uh, and then we'll dig into what I think is a very clever and satisfying payoff. Agreed. So Captain America 153, um, the cover shows, uh, Captain America ready to punch a black man who he's already beaten unconscious, uh, and the Falcon is leaping in to stop him. Um, so the first half of this issue resolves the quite frankly dumb storyline uh, where <laughs> Nick Fury was all butthurt because he thinks the Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine is in love with Cap because Cap appears to be 20 years younger than Fury. Uh, it's this whole love triangle. Uh, thing. It's just brutal. I mean, he's supposed to be an adult. You know, yeah, like, yeah. And this is just like middle school behavior. Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. I think it's a thing that started in uh the shield storyline the shield it comic that was being published that we never covered Mm. um but it was just it was sort of like you know we've referenced this so many times in the podcast but douglas wilk's formula for marvel comics is superheroes plus monsters plus romance Mm -hmm. um they were just trying to awkwardly shoehorn the romance into 
Yeah, yeah. it just I, didn't work. And it, it it could have. Sure. But not at not the like expense this. of the character. Yes. Like, don't make the character not who they are in order to make your romance conflict work. Exactly. Um, so they trash Steve Rogers' flop house room before the Contessa arrives to talk sense into fury. Um, uh, everyone leaves his friends, and this leads Cap to decide to take Sharon on a vacation to the Bahamas because they've really earned one. Who's that? Or like a key party? Yeah, right? exactly. like that was going to go one of two yep, ways. <laughs> exactly. Uh, meanwhile, Sam Wilson confronts his on again, off again girl Leela oh, about man. cozying up to Rafe, the local black radical leader. She generally hates him, right? Like, it's the weirdest romance yeah, ever. Yeah, uh, she's negging him. Yeah, always. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, she says she's got no time for Sam while he's cozying up to white people like Captain America, who's been beating up folks in the neighborhood since yesterday. And Sam knows this is impossible because he just saw Steve and Sharon uh, leave on an airplane to the Bahamas. So he falcons up and investigates. Um, he comes across a scene very similar to what's on the cover. Mm-hmm. And he intervenes. Um, he knows this can't be Cap, but he sounds just like him. And when he finally gets a chance to unmask him, he's startled to see that he looks just like Steve Rogers, too. Uh, but that's not all. He's hit from behind by someone who turns out to be Cap's supposedly dead partner, Bucky. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. And there's a big caption at, on the last page, the splash page, where the reveal of Cap, fake Cap and Bucky um, takes place. Uh, with start, it, they, it says, hold it right there, frantic one. We swear that this is not A, a dream, B, a hallucination, C, an imaginary story, or D, a pair of androids or robots. I thought D. I was totally D- team D on that one. Yeah. And this is all a shot at DC Comics, which oh, really? at the time was infamous for teasing things on the cover that wound up. That's why <sighs> it, it almost became a cliche where like if DC wanted to actually kind of break through that and say it's like. This is an actual thing. Mm. There'd be like a, a a cover banner that would say, not a dream, not a hoax, not an yeah, imaginary yeah, story. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. So that's what they had to do because they had <gasps> so many misleading covers. They burned their credibility that badly? Yeah. Wow. But I mean, also the things were written for, you know, 11 year olds. So, Dang. you know. Um, so here we go. Moving on to Captain America 154. Uh, we pick up right where we left off. Uh, with the ersatz cap and Bucky beating the crap out of Falcon and making a bunch of racist comments. Uh, and that's, I, I guess, something we should just throw out there is like, if you're going to read these stories, um, just I, I would say if there is such a thing as PG swears or PG uh, racism, uh-huh. like, um, it, it's like it's not, you know, obviously there's much more horrible things that could be said. But yes, it is sort of like a. It, their comments, especially when they're dealing with Falcon, are peppered with all these sort of like light slurs and um, <laughs> light treason, light treason. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in the you know, I'm I'm trying to think. Of I'm like, trying not to virtue signal too hard here, yeah. but it, it's like it, it's nothing that like it, it wouldn't make you blanch, you know. But it, it is sort of like these guys are assholes. Yeah. You know, like, right. And they are meant to be, I mean, it, that, that it's being used in the service of establishing that these guys are the villains of the piece. Right. It know? reads a little shocking today, but not as shocking as it could be. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Falcon gets his licks in, uh, but they overpower him and carry him off to a nearby warehouse intending to make him, uh, tell them where the other, i.e. real Captain Mm -hmm. America is. Uh, But a neighborhood kid witnesses the whole thing and finds Rafe and Leela, 
Uh, Rafi is not inclined to do anything about it until other folks from the neighborhood rally, and he grudgingly agrees to get a crew together. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I thought that was so good. Me too. Uh, it just, because I really do feel like maybe for a little too long, it was seeming like Falcon was being judged by everyone in his neighborhood mm-hmm. for working with Captain America. Oh, yeah. And I feel like it was like an overly simplified view of that dynamic. Yeah. Um, but this shows that like, no, I mean, regardless of how they feel about Captain America or white people in general, it's <laughs> like he is the hometown hero. He is the neighborhood hero. Right. You know, And we're going to come together as a community yes. and do what needs to be done. I, yeah. Exactly. We're going to organize. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, then, uh, we cut to the Bahamas where Sharon has a sunburn. Uh, this is an important plot point. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't Not think it would mentioning be mentioning this just to <laughs> say it, but it's important. Uh, and then she and Cap embarrass an Arnold Schwarzenegger look alike when right. he gets too pushy, um, which is quite fun. Uh, meanwhile, back in Harlem, Rafe and the others from the neighborhood bust into the warehouse and put a hurt on fake Cap and Bucky. Uh, and even though fake Cap and Bucky have super strength, they're worn down by the numbers, um, and they basically run away. They turn tail and run. Um, during the fight, Falcon says he noticed a clue uh, that he says, mm. he's like, I know who this guy is. And there's a caption is like, did you notice readers? Right. Um, and we, we talked about that. We didn't. None of us did. None of us did. Yeah. And yeah. having read all of them, I still don't know. Oh, OK. Do I do. OK. I, yep. Right. We'll get to we'll it. We'll get to it. Cool. Yep. Uh, but he keeps us in suspense about what that is. He's he's not, he's not tipping his hand to us. Yeah, I'm still in suspense. He's he's holding this knowledge over <laughs> us. Um, Rafi tries to uh, after the fight. Rafi tries to shame Falcon for needing a battalion of folks to fight his battles, but literally everyone else, including Leela, is cheering for Falcon. The smiles on everyone's face. There's a really nice panel. It just yeah. is like happiness. Yeah, and she's even like, if you need someone who's good with their hands to take care yeah. of you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got like, a little. Yeah, Woo-hoo-hoo. I think that was that was in horny month, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, Falcon heads to Avengers Mansion to enlist their help in chasing down racist Cap and Bucky. I, uh, is this the Falcon's first Avengers interaction? I think I it might think be. of another one. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's seen them in ones and twos, but it's the first time I think he's ever like shown up at the mansion. Yeah. yeah. I like, I really like that. I, yeah. it makes the, the, I always say this, it makes the world feel lived in, in yeah. like a cool way. It's like, Oh, you're part of our like, you know, extended family. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and he's in, he's in this, you know, he's in this position. He's like, I have to go warn cap. That's my top priority. But this guy's still running around town. I'm going to tell his buddies, cap's buddies to look out for this guy. Right. So that's being dealt with. And then, you know, there's some physicality where uh, he's he has his arm on Iron Man. Like yeah. the Falcon like puts his arm on his shoulder and yeah. it just it, 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 it very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Um. So, you know, they, they say, of course, we'll keep an eye out for bad cap. Um. And then Vision enters the room and is like, Cap, uh, he just relieved me on monitor duty downstairs. Right, I gave him all my ATM cards and <laughs> yes. sent him on his way. <laughs> he asked for my pin. It was really yeah. weird. He asked me for a, a database of racist jokes and I gave them to him. And, uh, it was, of course, evil racist Cap um, who used the Avengers monitor station to eavesdrop on Falcon's conversation with them, which allowed him to learn where Captain America was. So next up, it's a race to the Bahamas. <laughs> my kind of race. Yeah. Okay, Captain America 155. The issue opens in the Bahamas, where now both Steve Rogers and Sharon Carter have sunburns. Again, this is going to be a it's plot so point. cool. Oh, and it opens in a splash page with them doing the dirty dancing yeah. uh, time of my life pose. It's terrific. It's really great. Yeah. It, it's also like 
for a, a couple of characters who we have been told for now like three or four years are in love with each other. This is one of the first times we actually get to see them having personal time together. I agree. And like and they're both in bathing suits. Yeah. And it makes them so human. Yeah. And it's not the um it's not cheesecakey, like no. it's not gawkery. Like if they're just I mean, she's in a bikini, but it's not. Uh, I just, it was a very respectful version of that. Yeah. And I don't think we would have seen that a year earlier. No, I don't think Marvel so. Comics. Yep. Um, so uh, while they're uh, having fun on the beach, uh, Steve catches a glimpse of fake Bucky in the distance uh, and runs down the beach after him. Uh, he immediately gets waylaid uh, and uh, knocked unconscious by double punches from the super strong fake Cap and Bucky. Can you imagine getting punched? Uh, simultaneously from both sides, <laughs> like left and right, like just your eyes would pop out. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> if a cartoon has taught me anything, uh, uh, fake cap after knocking out, uh, actual cap, um, tries to lure Sharon in as she approaches back. Should we call him fact? Yeah. <laughs> fake, fake cap. <laughs> uh, so he he's trying to he's trying to convince us like, hey, come over and see what I, we found. See what I found. Um, but he doesn't have a sunburn, so she knows something's wrong. In a panel. Yeah. It's so fast. She is on top of him so quickly. Yeah. And and it even said there's something in the dialogue or in the caption box, which is like she doesn't even consciously know why it's not right. But she's learned to trust this instinct as a shield agent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yep. So uh, she turns around and hightails it out of there. Um, but the super strong ersatz super soldiers are in hot pursuit and gaining on her. Uh, she's saved at the last possible second by the Falcon who arrives just in time to tackle them. And to be fair, she's put like her run is like really solid. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like she put some good distance there and like not everyone could do that, but she's so awesome. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's cap, so you can't outrun her. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and ultimately she and Falcon are not able to overcome fake cap and Bucky, uh, who knock them out and tie them up. Uh, and with Steve uh, in the back of a plane. Right. And now it's time for the payoff. <laughs> uh, we finally learn who the fake Cap and Bucky are. I got to say, this is maybe one of the best executed retcons. Agreed. Yeah, uh, that I've, I've ever seen in a Marvel comic. So if you are a longtime listener to this podcast, uh, you might remember episode number 53. Whoa. Yeah, way back then. Uh, with our good pal Joe Keating, uh, where we talked about the brief superhero revival in the 1950s of Timely Comics' Golden Age Heroes. If you don't remember it, or you didn't listen to it, listen to it. It's a great episode. Uh, Captain America and Bucky were among those heroes that they brought back uh, in the early 50s. Um, But tonally, the books were much more violent and aggressively anti-communist than the Marvel comics of the 1960s would be. Hmm. there was no comics code at that point. Um, and even though like early Marvel comics were sort of red baity, <laughs> like it <laughs> well was, put. yeah. Uh, this was like, literally they were going after commies with like the enthusiasm that they used to go after Nazis. Right. You know? Right. So, um, well to cut straight to the chase, this cap and Bucky are the cap and Bucky of the 1950s. Like that's who it is my jaw dropped i was like what yeah it's so cool it's is maybe the most explicit connection between the atlas timely era and the marvel age of comics Uh. like we've seen namor reference things from you know like his cousin namora um and folks like that but and his entire origin 
um, who his father was and who his mother was. But on oh, the end of the Kree Skull War, right? Those they pop out of yeah, Rick Jones's the, head or whatever. Exactly. But this is saying it's like no, what you read in the 1950s is part of it did Marvel happen. continuity. But that's not the entire story. Right. And we're going to tell you the rest of what the story. What you didn't know was. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Uh, it, it, I also have to say credit where credit is due. This plot point was a Roy Thomas uh, invention, which is not hard to believe. Um, yeah, that yeah. tracks. Yeah. This is definitely something. This is something that's confirmed that Roy fed this to Steve Englehart and Steve Englehart went off on it. Um, so basically, fake Cap grew up worshipping Captain America during the 1940s. Uh, his heart was broken when he learned that Cap was lost in 1945, and he channeled his hero worship into an obsession. He was determined to learn everything he could possibly learn about his idol. Oh, man, which is such a realistic thing. Like, if yes. we had superheroes, yep. especially nowadays with the internet, oh, my God. Yep. That's, this would happen constantly. Exactly. And he even compares it to, like, someone who... Uh, in childhood wound up uh, becoming captivated by Abraham Lincoln and just wanted to like absorb everything they could learn about Lincoln. You know, weirdly that seems like more of a stretch to me, (laughs) (laughs) but sure. Yeah. Giant hats are great. Elliot Kalen is listening to this right now and he's so upset at you. I know. I mean, not that Lincoln's not great. I'm sure he's he's a great guy. The mole, dimple, beard. I love him. Uh, So, uh, he, uh, the, this this guy who we still don't know the name of um he's he's obsessed with learning everything he can learn about captain america he flies to uh germany in oh, 1953 isn't it beef todgers his, his name is is beef todgers right what he's like not steve rogers <laughs> he's like a b <laughs> he's the b team <laughs> yeah beef todgers um i I the, I do know that he, he this is not the last we'll see of this guy and he we know his his actual name later. Um Bucky winds up being a more important character later. I'll just say that. Mm. Fake fake Bucky winds up being more important to Captain America um to the storyline. So I I would make a joke but I can't think of Bucky's last name. Yeah. Bucky Barnes is Oh, right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Pl- but Plucky Carnes. <laughs> Chucky Larns. Keep keep workshopping. <laughs> um, so anyway, so he, he goes to Germany in 1953. He exhaustively researches everything the Nazis wrote about Cap during the war. And that's how he comes across the super soldier formula, which a Nazi spy discovered shortly before being killed. And it was just like buried in the back of one of these. Like some book. Yeah. So he's the only one who has this. He heads to Washington, D.C. He briefs President Truman on his discovery. Truman assumes he's just going to turn it over to them. But oh no, if that formula is going to be used on anyone, it's going to be used on Cap fan number one. <laughs> um, uh, but before he's ready to become America's super soldier in Korea, uh, he goes full single white female and has surgery on his face and vocal cords to look and sound just like Steve Rogers. Whoa. He even changes his name to Steve Rogers. Right. Yeah. From, as we all know. Beef Todgers. <laughs> and this also explains why in the 1950s comics, he's referred to as Steve Rogers the entire time. That is so great. Yeah. I mean, it really is yep. like uh, an amazing retcon. Yep. You can't burst it. Like, it, it, yeah, it's it's airtight. Yeah. It totally works. Yep. It's internally consistent. And yeah. Um, So he gets all this work done. He's become almost literally a clone of his idol. Um, unfortunately, once he's finally ready to inject the serum, 
the Korean War ends. Womp womp. That's a bummer, huh? Yeah. I hate when a good war ends. Yeah, sorry, pal. Sorry, white guy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, our fake Steve Rogers takes a teaching job at the Lee School. Yeah, I caught that too. Yep, in Connecticut, uh, where he meets a kid who's also obsessed with Captain America and Bucky, and who happens to look exactly like Bucky, and calls himself Bucky. <laughs> that was a little bit more of a stretch, but sure. Yeah. Um, fake Steve confides in Bucky about how he almost became America's next Captain America, and the two become fast yet kind of problematic friends. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's a lot of, uh, yeah. Um, it was the 50s. Things were different. I guess so. Were they? <laughs> Are they do we just not talk about them as much? Um, a fake Bucky even makes a uniform for fake Cap, uh, but he doesn't do that great a job, as we'll see later. Uh, on page 13 of this issue, the comic seamlessly transitions into several pages from Young Men Comics number 24, from 1953, which were originally written by Don Rico and illustrated by John Romita. I mean, it is flawless. Yeah. They do call it out with a little caption box saying it's like, and now we're going to take you to what you've, yeah, what was published 20 years ago now. And like the art looks a little different. Like it's, but like you would notice if you were paying attention. Yeah. But it, I mean, it it looks as different as any other flashback art looks. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I was stunned. Yeah. And it's Romita. You know, so it's like you're still like even though it's early Ramita or earlier Ramita, uh-huh. you're still he has a a, style. a Marvel style, yeah, you know, like which you're used to. If you just read Spider Man, like this is not at all jarring, right, right, right. Um, so uh, in, in these pages, uh, fake Steve Rogers breaks up a schoolyard brawl between fake Bucky and some kids who are disrespecting Captain America. Uh, fake Steve has fake Bucky join him on a car ride during which they hear that the Red Skull has returned and he's taken the UN hostage. It turns out that fake Bucky had stashed the costumes he made in fake Steve's car. <laughs> sure. Awesome. Yeah. And then in an incontinuity page added to the middle of the flashback, fake Steve and Bucky pull into an alleyway, put on their costumes, and then shoot up with the super soldier serum. <laughs> that made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely meant to. I mean, they're literally driving into an alleyway, you know, yeah. like with all the associations that implies. Right. You know, and, and the, it's syringe. You know, it's a syringes. case of syringes. It didn't, I feel like it didn't have to be syringes or like it didn't have to be. It's just so very explicit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you don't see that many explicit syringes in comics. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's really uncomfortable. But it, it, yeah. And I think it, I think you're supposed to be really skeezed out by cool. all of okay. this. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, and then we cut back to uh, the young man number 24 pages where uh, Cap and Bucky crash through a window at the UN and take the fight to a terrified red skull. Um, and then new pages resume on page 17 while we're still in a flashback where we see a montage of what fake Cap and Bucky got up to. Mm um so now all of their adventures from the 1950s are in continuity and canon boom yeah just like that um with an even stronger emphasis on how they were fighting communism worldwide again like basically just swapping nazis out for commies yeah yeah oh uh, it's so clever i just yeah. i mean it's one of the most impressive things we've read it really is yeah it, from like a story architecture universe perspective yes um we also learn however uh that in the words of fake cap somehow yeah. we seem to outgrow the world we began finding reds where others saw nothing like in harlem and watts in fact we found that most people who weren't pure-blooded americans were commies 
which is so chilling. Yeah. I mean, literally, that is part of the political dialogue today. Right. Where it's like, isn't it, you know, it, it, like they they point to activist groups and say it's socialism. Right. It's communism. Right. You know, it's like this stuff has been i mean this is 50 years old <laughs> <laughs> right this right and and it wasn't invented for this yeah you know well and the transition from them being heroes to them being this it's on the same page yeah it's a three panel page yeah you know like they're they're writing wrongs and it just happens so quickly and insidiously yes like i i don't you could miss it i, I really think you could miss it i think so too because the the punchline payoff happens in the third panel which is like what a sixth of that page, <laughs> yeah you know right yeah and it's it's the maybe the least visually dynamic i mean you've got oh, a giant yeah. splash of you know a montage of them fighting all these villains then them with the backdrop oh, of an american of flag an american flag yeah 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 and it, yeah if you're i guess maybe that's like where why you learn history it's like if you don't know watts you know like if that doesn't ring a bell in your brain yep you 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 could reasonably miss that yeah and the whole line about pure-blooded americans (sighs) oh my gosh it's like it's it's such a a strong word choice yeah for steve engelhart to use there um yeah yeah so that that guy's great yeah just delivers the goods um so finally washington realizes that fake cap and bucky have just lost their minds (laughs) uh and they they're theory is that it's because they used the serum but they didn't use the vita rays mm. that was the second you part of the, the vita rays yeah I mean, no vita that's rays just, that's cap yeah. 101 yeah so on on one side it turns out that actually made them stronger than the original captain america uh and the downside also made them insane <laughs> or racist <laughs> right yeah <laughs> <laughs> insanely racist insanely racist uh truman tries to convince them to give up peacefully i love that the president is he's like <laughs> hands on he's the hostage <laughs> negotiator <laughs> right he's not doling this out to other people hey, man, he had the thing on it the sign on his desk this is the buck stops here yeah so. he meant it <laughs> he also meant the bucky and nice. captain america stop here <laughs> nice uh so when our when our our fake heroes uh refuse uh they're blasted into unconsciousness and cryogenically frozen uh, until um, they can figure out a way to cure them, or of racism, <laughs> of, of racism. Good luck with that. Um, or a, until a reactionary lab tech mm. uh, who is outraged that Nixon would travel to China and Russia decides that America needs a hero who will stand up to the communist menace again and thaws them out. Mm. So, so I also love that Nixon is the, is the other is, is the cause of this. <laughs> like this is the thing that like tips this guy over the edge. It's like. <laughs> It's like we're surrendering to the Chinese. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a South Park, South Park sketch. God, it's so, I, and it's so on point. Yeah, honestly. it really is. Every single part of this. Uh, back in the present day, here's the part that you were asking about. We learned that the clue that Falcon noticed last yeah. issue was that the fact that the red and white abdomen stripes oh. on fake Cap's costume don't continue around his back like oh. the real Cap's do. Okay. My kid, when I talked about that, I didn't realize that he that's what he had noticed. That's yeah. what he had noticed. Okay. And this is accurate to how the 1950s Cap was drawn, which tells me that, again, this is a Roy Thomas bit. Like, Roy Thomas is, I believe, the kind of person who would be like, we have to explain why his costume was different in 1950. He's like tossing and turning in yes. bed at night. This is keeping away for a decade. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm so glad he finally was able to get this taken care of. Um, He's a man out of time. He wouldn't just change the costume. He's looking for continuity. <laughs> Why didn't he wash up in the costume that didn't have the stripes on it? <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, so, uh, Fake Cap gets mad when Falcon points out that his stuff is crap. Uh, and oh, I almost took a screen grab of the, of the smirk. That oh, I love it. It's so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and so you fake cap, you storms into the cockpit, um, and our three heroes uh, quickly free themselves and prepare to end this once and for all. So uh, we'll wrap up here in Captain America number one fifty six. Um, again, picks up right where one fifty five left off. Uh, fake Cap pilots the plane to Miami Beach, and I love this bit because he wants to be on American soil when he defeats the person who he thinks is also a fake Captain America. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, he's unaware that Cap, Falcon, and Sharon had freed themselves uh, until Cap smashes the cockpit door in once they've landed. Um, and and just not for nothing, mm-hmm. this the good symbol of America and a black man and a woman are mm-hmm. all working together on equal footing against like the racist psycho version yep. of, of what this could be. Yes, exactly. Like, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's not even subtext. No. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's the thing on the page. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so they, they all scrap for a bit. Fake cap fires a blaster that sinks an approaching coast guard ship. Um, which means that cap and Falcon and Sharon, can't follow them when they make their escape mm. because they have to rescue the sailors because mm. they're the good guys. Um, but fake cap does challenge cap to meet him at Miami's torch of friendship to settle things once and for all. Did you know that the torch of friendship was a landmark in Miami before you read this? Issue? <laughs> I certainly did not. Nor did I no. uh, <laughs> get the feeling they were just kind of having, so they're going to be in Miami What's, what's a, a what's a landmark in Miami? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's the torch of friendship, of yeah, course. Of course, the yeah. well-known yeah taught in every school, yeah across the nation. Uh, Cap goes to the police station, uses his Avengers membership to pull some strings, have the torch of friendship roped off so that no one else will be hurt. Uh, and then we also get a quick cut back to New York, where suspicious cops Courtney and Muldoon are tossing Steve Rogers' apartment, looking for proof that Rogers framed Muldoon for the crime that led to him being suspended from the force. Which like, okay, like normally a comic has an A, a B, maybe a a deep C. Yeah. And, and like they bounce back and forth between those. And like, we depend on that because you can't shift perspectives within one scene and have it work properly. Yeah. Yeah. But like, do you realize how long we've been on the A story? Yeah. I I mean, like huge, unprecedented amount of time in one thing. Yeah. I think we get like one panel of these guys in the last issue or something. And it like, at this point it seems like who cares? Like I'm, because you're like, what is going on with this cap thing? Like you really want to know. Yeah. 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 This, you got to set up. Yeah. He is setting something up that plays out after this story arc is over, but he's, you know, it's, it's, he's still kind of, although Engelhart comes in very, very strong. Yeah. He's still, I think maybe, understanding the balance of like how do you you know right how, how do you how do you elevate your c plot to a b plot and then make it the a plot you know that kind of thing well so. we learned that the detective muldoon here wasn't the same detective muldoon is in the 50s right it was like detective the a different guy who would change his face entirely in order to impersonate 
and Muldoon <laughs> so that it, when in the present. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's uh, they're they're all they're all the a plot. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. No. Wheels within wheels. No. 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 Um, they're uh, as far as we know, they're just a couple of cops who are convinced that Steve Rogers uh, has framed Muldoon. Um, Does it seem Nixony to you at all? I'll, I think it's Nixony, um, and also uh, it does make sense because I mean, remember when Steve Rogers was a cop? Yeah, and like <laughs> he just called out sick an awful lot, you right. know. Right. And then like like a couple issues ago, they just find his like uniform in an alleyway. trash can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I I don't think this guy's on the up and up. Yeah, right. for yeah. a guy who seems genetically perfect, he's calling in sick a lot, using up a lot of sick days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly. One of right. them is, you know, right, right, accused right. of something. Uh, anyway, they find nothing but uh, Steve Rogers' greedy uh, hotel apartment manager um, who knows they're not on the up and up, but doesn't say anything, though he does think that he recognizes Sergeant Muldoon, mm. which seems relevant, but... Yeah. Probably from the 50s. Probably from the 50s. <laughs> uh, back in Miami, Cap, Falcon, and Sharon are headed for the Torch of Friendship. Bucky jumps them. Uh, Falcon and Sharon stay behind to deal with Bucky while Cap continues to the showdown. Um, after a little bit of back and forth, Sharon tosses Bucky in a graceful arc to Falcon, who puts him away with a very satisfying slow motion uppercut. Mm. Um, and that's it for Buck. So that it is. Yeah. Uh, that And that it's the two of them that takes down Bucky is yeah. like nice poetic justice. Yep. Um, and finally, Cap makes it to the torch of friendship where fake Cap lies in wait for him. Um, they exchange a few blows. Fake Cap is just looking rough. His his uniform is shredded. His shield is half broken. Um, and at the climax of the battle, Cap reveals that he's not just another soldier in the Captain America program like Fake Cap was. Hmm. He's the real deal. And the realization that his lifelong idol is now his greatest enemy causes Fake Cap's mind to snap. And the real Cap lays out the Fake Cap with one last powerful punch. And so... It makes total sense that he would assume the fake cap fact would, would assume that there's a line of fake Captain America's right. after him, that he was just the first yeah. in a longstanding the, the program like weapon X or something. Yeah. He even makes reference to like when they were doing early tests on the super soldier serum that he discovered um, that he knew that they would be like reverse trying to reverse engineer the formula from the blood of the lab animals. Yeah. The but monkey. They could, yeah. But they couldn't get anything from it. Right. So, but so he's already got it in his mind and also, he's also paranoid, you know, and everything else. So right. he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, they're going to make more of me. Yeah. You why know? wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Look at me. Yeah. I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm Captain America. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, fake Cap, fake Bucky have been dealt with. Now, all that's left is for them to be returned to their cryogenic tanks and the day is saved. Um, but it ends on a real down note like mm-hmm. cap does not feel like celebrating at all he he feels like he got a glimpse of this version of himself that he could have been and now he just needs to be alone like and kind of sit with this i don't know I'm, I'm on the fence on if i think that that was like an effective sort of story dismount yeah or if it was like tacked on sadness hero walks away in the rain yeah because like what there's nothing about his history that would have led him to be yeah that. i think it i think it's entirely dependent on whether or not you buy the idea that the thing that made the fake cap crazy was the serum mm, okay. and so i think steve rogers is looking at it from the perspective of 
they could have injected me with this and I could have lost my mind. Right. And I could have turned into this horrible person. And and I think with the type of character that he is, he's always trying to look for the hopeful thing, you know? Yeah. And always trying to extend grace where he can, you know? Yeah. I would just think that that would be like a more triumphant moment for him rather than not. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, either way, either way. Yeah. Uh, yeah I yeah. can see it either way. Yeah. There is something sobering about it. Like, right. Right. That this guy went so far to be him and turn into this monster. Yeah. He yeah. over oversteered. Yeah. So also that monkey. Also that monkey. There's a monkey out there. <laughs> there's a it's super inject- soldier monkey. There's a racist <laughs> super soldier monkey out there in the world. What's he doing? Yeah. He's throwing coconuts at elephants. <laughs> yeah. Like racistly. Like yes. really racistly. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I thought that was a, just a, a great four issue storyline. I mean. Agreed. And that's like one of the first things that Engelhart has done. Just kicked in the door yeah. and wrote an awesome story. Yep. You put that together with the first like, couple of defenders and he's really just making his mark right away. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Well, that's all the uh, Marvel comics that we have to talk about uh, for this episode. Review us on Apple Podcast or whatever you're using to listen to us. Um, get some free stuff in the mail if you send us a screenshot of your five-star review with your mailing address to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at marvelbythemonth. Marvelbythemonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. That's all for now. Rob's back next week. Yay! Yay! Uh, and He's going to so, be so mad at what we've done. I know. <laughs> He's well, going to be like, you've been doing it all wrong. Shouldn't have had a birthday, dude. <laughs> uh, anyway, until uh, next week when Rob catches up with us, my name's Brian Stratton. I'm Jamie Wenger. We'll see you next week for next month. And until then, stay inside and read comics. <laughs> <laughs>